Sean and Caitlin are on break this week, but while they're off, Dad's Daughters and Dollars is still on. Here's an encore of one of their most popular episodes. Enjoy. Welcome to Dad's Daughters and Dollars, a financial podcast for everyone. Now, here's one of my favorite people. (laughs) I'm Sean, the dad, clearly the favorite. And I'm Caitlin, the daughter, clearly my dad's mistaken. Welcome to the put up or shut up episode of Dad's Daughters and Dollars. What? And, and I call it the put up or shut up because I think for five or six out of our 12 episodes, I've talked about index funds and now I'm going to finally explain it. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause this so that's is another the thing. put up or shut up part. Well, this is another thing from like, I guess the womb is that I feel like I've been learning about index funds since the womb. That's true. But I thought it was about time that we like, you know, talk about them. For anyone my age who doesn't, you know, you can say the word index funds and then people go, well, that's where you lost me. What? So let's get into it. All right. So first, let me explain to all our people that are listening and welcome aboard India, which came aboard last week, which yeah. is pretty cool when you Whether see Whether by mistake or if on purpose, I'm happy we got you. There's the eighth country. We love you. Um, so because there's a lot to explain, it is relatively simple. I'm going to try and keep it as simple as possible, but I think this will be a two-part episode. So let me just explain Jack Bogle. Okay. For anybody who doesn't know, Jack Bogle has done more for individual investors to make them financially secure and financially independent than anybody in the history of the world. So, but like, uh, what's the story? Like, what did he do? All right. So um, let me just explain if... You said Michael Jordan was the greatest basketball player of time. He's the Michael Jordan for individual investors. Wow. Yeah. So like, you know who Warren Buffett is. He's yes. he's considered the greatest investor. He's not the person who's helped the most people, but he's the, considered like the smartest, greatest investor. Yeah. Doesn't he own like Berkshire Hathaway owns, and they own everything or yeah, something? Yeah. He's worth something like 80 to 90 billion, something like oh, that. Oh, just a casual. Right. And everybody who invests in Berkshire Hathaway has done very well. But Jack Warren Buffett said about Jack, if a statue was ever erected to the honor of a person who has done the most for American investors, hands down the choice would be Jack Bogle. Wow, what an honor. Right. So what did Bogle do? He devised the first index fund in 1975 as a way for individual investors to compete with professional investors. So the people who have 14 MBAs and their finance PhDs and stuff like that who go to Wall Street and they become the chairman of the brokerage firm or something, they have all this sort of inside information and they have all this knowledge. Yeah, and experience to get ahead and invest in the best ways and exactly. everything. So, but Jack said, we're sort of eliminating the individual investor getting ahead, you know, someone could invest, well, and then, you know, on the reverse side of that, you're also not, if there are people who want to invest, but then can't cause they don't have that information. That's money that you're losing on like for more money to be invested into like a, a company or something. So I, I'm going to, at the end of, you know, part of our notes in this uh, episode, I'm going to link to a article from the Sydney morning Herald from Australia and the title of it is, He Should Be a Billionaire, but Jack Bogle Chose to Make Others Richer. Hmm. So what he did is he transformed money management so that people could invest cheaper and simpler 
And then it lifted the financial well-being of millions of people. Right. So, but you still haven't defined like what an index fund is. I think you have in a couple past episodes, but let's just reiterate what the definition is. Right. I just wanted to lay that out about how important he is. Okay. What's an index fund? An index fund is a low-cost passive investment that is highly diversified and follows some index. So I'll break that down. It is a low cost. What does low cost mean? No commissions or loads. We talked about in the mutual fund episode, a load is a charge. We recommended this mutual fund to you. Now give us a fee. Every time you invest in it, give us another fee. Right. All right, so that's a load. Low cost, he had no loads on any of his index funds. Wow. All right. And then there's still operating costs, and he made sure that those operating costs were as small as humanly possible. Um, he made it a passive investment. So that means that once the index fund invested, it didn't keep trying to do better. It didn't keep trying to, it didn't keep I'm going to sell these three stocks. If I have a mutual fund that has 200 stocks in it, what the active manager will always do is, okay, so this is getting 9% return. But, you know, the, the investors that I work for kind of want me to get 14%. So I'm going to take some risks. I'm going to sell these three companies, and I think those three are pretty hot. So I'm going to sell these three, and, you know, let's say the fund has $2 billion in it from 50,000 investors. I'm going to sell these three stocks and buy those three. And so they're hoping that everything's going to turn out right. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't. Jack so, said, no, just buy these and stay. Don't do anything. And don't touch them. So that's passive. Active is you keep trying to trade and do better. Passive is you just buy this big group of stocks and stay there. Right. Don't ever sell them. Okay. Um, highly diversified. That means in a mutual fund, sometimes the mutual fund will hold 100 stocks, sometimes 200. Jack was like, no, we're going to buy the S&P 500, which is the Standard & Poor's 500, which is the top 500 companies or stocks in the stock market. Or we were buying the total stock market, which is someplace between 3,500 and 3,800 stocks. So that if you're owning 3,800 stocks, that's a lot more diversified than owning 100. Right. So like, for instance, in a regular mutual fund, if you had 100 stocks, if 18 of them do poorly, that's going to take a bigger hit on your mutual fund than if 18 do poorly out of 3,800. Right. So I guess my question is, when you say highly diversified, is there um, a minimum number that you know of that he has that it's like, well, I'm never going to have a, a, an index fund that's less than 300 stocks. I would say in general, he never has a index fund that's less than 500. So there would be right. the S&P 500. There's the total stock market index. So know. then, but all of them keep just, they're, they're more diversified the, the further you go. Yeah, meaning the more companies you own, the more diversified you are. Got it. So he made sure that all his index funds had a minimum of 500 companies, mm -hmm. right? And then it follows some index. So an index is a way of tracking the performance of a group of stocks. Now, it could be you could have an index that stocks tracks bonds. You could have uh, an index that tracks real estate investments. But his, you know, and hit the company started was called Vanguard, and that company has every, every type of index. It has, you know, the S&P 500, the total stock market, total bond, total international, total world stock market index. It has a real estate index. There, there's probably 10,000 index funds out there between all the companies. Right. So um, he just said, 
let's keep it as simple as possible. So, so what index does his, his, all of his different index funds index different things, or they're all indexing the one same thing about all the different companies? I miss that. It's, it, they're indexing either smaller or larger portions of the stock market. Now, they could do bonds too, but if he had an S&P index, that means it's only investing in the top 500 companies in the stock market. Okay. If he has a total stock market index, it's investing in just a, a whole stock market, about thirty-five to 3,800 stocks. Now, he only really believed in kind of doing those two plus maybe an international stock market index and a bond market. When he eventually left Vanguard and other people took over, they started adding more and more stuff because he just thought it was another way to potentially, you know, help investors. But in general, Jack was saying, no, you're making it too complex. Keep it simple. Mm. And he eventually left the company. And um, But one of the perfect examples of how much he did for investors, over time, Vanguard saved individual investors 217 million dollars in fees. Wow. So that 217 million dollars still came back to the investors as okay, that guy has, you know, $52,000 invested. So maybe instead of being charged uh $2,900 in fees over the time he's investing, he's got that $2,800 that just keeps compounding in his favor. Right. So I'm going to tell you, you know, his general philosophy was that over time, and he started in the 1950s or something like that. He went to Princeton, and he believed that when he was working for the firms he was initially working from, all that he saw was people were trying to just make the firm richer, not the investors richer. If the investors got richer, that was fine. So, for instance, they would charge them these enormous fees, and they kept saying, well, if the stock market didn't do well, so what? He said, this is crazy. We're not, we're not giving them their value, right? So he thought that any of the expenses that are associated with chasing some big returns that some brokerage firm's trying to get for you, they almost always cancel out because the investor would, would have achieved more if they didn't have all those fees. Right. So he's kind of the guy who sort of eliminated a lot of fees in the mutual fund industry. Do you and- think that like since he started up Vanguard that, uh, other places and, and brokerages have tried making their fees less to kind of compete? Uh, not 100%. When he started doing like both no-load, now he wasn't the first person to do a no-load mutual fund, but when he made sure his index funds had no-loads, slash that means commissions, and then his operating costs were so low. Every, yeah, because they and, weren't active. Right, and then because they were, uh, Vanguard became successful, Anybody who wanted to copy index funds had to basically match what he did if they wanted to get the business from all the people that are in the world. Mm-hmm. So Schwab then started index funds and Fidelity started index funds and whoever else. Right. Um, so, but here's his basic beliefs. He believed you'd be far more profitable if you followed the market instead of fighting it. What the heck does that mean? Fighting it means I keep trying to beat it. So I today I think, Tesla's great, and tomorrow, two weeks later, I don't think it's so great. I'm going to sell it. So you keep trying to figure your way around the market, and all these PhDs and 
you know, peoples with masters, they couldn't do it. That 85% of them were doing poorly. So then you could say to me, well, why don't we just have the 15% that are doing well? Well, that people changes every year. Right. You can, you know, someone could do, some brokerage firm money manager could do well four years in a row, five years in a row or something. But you're always guessing. So he said, let's not do that. Let's just invest in the whole group of stocks and then just stay there and hold hold it. And it turned out with low fees, people have become so financially independent. He's made so many people wealthy. And I'm talking the average investor, not the person who's making $200,000 a year. I'm talking a person who's making $50,000 a year. Right, yeah. If they can save some of it, it pays off. Significantly. and Especially then, without the fees. Right. Here's the other thing. Jack believed that most people in the financial business are trying to make money for themselves, not for the people they're serving. Right. So they were charging them a lot of commissions, uh, front or back end loads, and then their operating costs were like 2%. So when you subtracted everything, if the stock market returned 9%, they'd get 5 Yeah, it's not really well, helping. What am I paying for? The, yeah. I mean, 5% is not nothing, but yeah, if you could tell me 5% versus 9%, I'd go, I'm going to take the 9 Right, and the 9% is what everybody was getting who wasn't trying to beat the market. Yeah. The people who just sat back and twiddled their thumbs were getting the 9%. Mm. But you kept believing that because these guys had their PhDs and masters that they must know. Now, they are very intelligent. But what it tends to be that for everybody who sells a stock, someone buys it, so then it becomes a zero-sum game. Yeah, well, I mean, also, too, I feel like no amount of education can really... um, have you predict major world events that would affect the stock market and or anything that really affects the stock market, just every aspect of daily life. If you don't know what's going on in Hong Kong, well, that could still easily affect you here. And even if you have five doctorates and three MBAs and you got a master's in finance and investing, that you're still not going to have that knowledge because you're not, I don't know what, God? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, here's one of his other basic beliefs. He believes a mutual fund should not be asking for a fee year after year after it's been established. So it's what we talked about in the mutual fund episode is that, okay, I got to pay this guy I would, on the, my mutual fund. I paid a front run load or commission. But why do I have to pay it every year? You recommended it, and 30 years later, I'm still paying you a fee? Even if the, even if the fund trashed and did terrible, I still have to pay you a fee. Yeah, that's what you said that other episode. So that was one of his main beliefs. It's sort of like we're kind of screwing the investor. Oh, by the way, I'm going to just say this as a sidebar. Everybody else who started a big investment firm, so Vanguard became a very big investment firm. Mm -hmm. When Jack died, which was in January of 2019. May he rest in peace. And a lot of people became very well off because of Jack. Um, He, I think, died with approximately a net worth of $80 million. You go, wow, right? Everybody else who started firms that were, you know, they became the chairman, CEO of the firm, they're all worth about $12 billion or more. So he gave all that money back by saying, I could live on $80 million. Let's say when he was first and he had $20 million. I can live on this. I, let's see if we can get all the individual investors involved in this. Let's yeah. see if they can do well. He didn't say no, no matter what, it's about me. And it's about like everybody in the firm who's like, you know, that's the co-chairman and that's a partner and that guy's a partner. All right. So they're all getting very wealthy and they're worth 400, 500 million. 
He's like, no, let's give it to the individual investor. Right. And once he did that, all the other companies followed suit. Kind of cool. Yeah. All right, here's another thing. He believed that mutual fund managers who pick stocks couldn't keep up with the S&P 500, much less beat it. And he had a bunch of historical evidence that showed this, that over time, the majority of money managers could not beat it, and the ones that did couldn't do it consistently. Yeah, so you're not, even if, oh, for three years, I was technically beating S&P 500 on my returns, you know, but for five years, I couldn't. So, you know, I'm actually out some now, or I, you know, would have had 3000 more dollars had I just not wasted, or I'm not going to say waste my time, but had I just left it sitting there chilling. Right. You know, let me have a margarita on the beach. And <laughs> that's my job. All right. Here's the other thing he believed. He believed that once you buy the index, you hold it long-term, no matter what happens to the stock market, how far up it goes, how far down it goes, you just hold it long-term and then you'll be financially stable. So I'm going to say something that's silly here just to play devil's advocate. But in the case that for some reason, I don't know what would cause this, but you're, you're investing in S&P 500, but whatever happens in the world and the top 10 stocks just tank. Yeah. Like Google, for some reason, is not worth anything to us anymore because Bing is like suddenly the thing, if anyone remembers Bing. Um, yes. Or, uh, you know, there's a completely new, different phone on the market and it's integrated with everything. Right. Suddenly, you know, or an Amazon has a huge competitor. I mean, I don't really see that changing, but we've seen crazy huge companies from the past that aren't even here anymore, like I don't think Sears is around anymore, and that was a huge company. I don't know if they were ever S&P 500, but you know, maybe at one point they were up there. So with things changing, he still believes that you just hold on to the S&P 500 because the S&P 500, if there's major changes, they switch out that 500, right? Correct. Because it's just the top 500. Right. So ideally, what I love about S&P 500, honestly, is that they're the top 500 companies probably because they're mostly doing well. You know, if you look at over, like Apple's probably had some ups and downs, you know, maybe one September I, iOS launch didn't go great. It makes me wonder how, you know, they're still on the up and up. It's not like, you know, they took a hit so bad and uh, they're not worth anything now. Like, you know. Well, one of the main things to be in the S&P 500, which means you're one of the top 500 companies in the stock market out of 3,500 stocks, is that the capitalization, which means what's the value of your company? So, the, you know, Apple's worth $1 trillion and this company's worth $900.4 billion or something. Those, you know, what their value is gives them a little bit more power to be in the top 500. Yeah, well, right? and it kind of... So, even if Apple did go down, they might still be number one, or I actually don't know where they are, but I feel like they're one. Aren't they valued at like $1 trillion? Yeah, they're, I think, considered the top right. you know, valued so, company. And to tell you the truth, I'd have to check. Apple might not even be in the S&P 500 because it's considered more of a tech stop, so it might be in the NASDAQ. But Oh, got it. Uh, I actually I never I never knew that difference. But anyways, what I like about the S&P 500 is the another point I was going to get to is that the 400 or let's say the 450 the the bottom 50, the ones that are the last 50 in the S&P 500, 
Those are ones that probably got into the S&P 500 because they just experienced a great amount of growth. So I don't know how often the S&P 500 changes, but ideally, you know, you're always going to at least have some growth from there because they had to break into the top 500 with some certain amount of growth. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like the S&P 500, the most valuable thing in the S&P 500 probably wasn't worth what it was today, but that's because people on the bottom keep pushing the threshold for what the S&P 500, you know, what you need to be valued in to actually be there in the first place. Now, I want to answer a question that you asked initially when you started was, uh, so what if 10 companies like did terrible and went bankrupt or something? It would hurt, but you have the other 490 companies to kind of balance you out that you might take a hit for three months, six months, a year, whatever, but there's going to be a balancing out. And these right. companies that are, are at the highest levels, they have people whose job it is to make sure we don't make stupid decisions so that we do go bankrupt. Right. I'm going to give you one example because you've been asking about this. So you know Tesla. Mm-hmm. It debuted in the stock market in 2010, and its initial price offering to get in the stock market was $17 a share. So Okay. If you bought, you know, you know, a thousand shares, you would have got like, uh, you know, if you bought a thousand dollars, you got fifty-eight shares of this electric car company, right? So the company has not any. Just recently, I think they're doing stock splits or whatever like that, and that affects the value. But so now it's as of July thirty-first, twenty twenty, each share that was originally worth seventeen dollars is now worth fourteen hundred and thirty dollars. So that's, that's a pretty a, high return. That's an increase of 8,198% in value. So if you invest in $1,000 from the start, you would have that $1,000. What, $800 million? No, no they, my numbers are Those way off. 58 shares mm-hmm. would now be worth 82984 or No, it's $82 million or something, 984000 Yeah, just a casual $82 million. Right. So, but here's the thing. If you're just trying to find the Tesla, you might not. You're just, you're guessing. And there's analysts who do a ton of research and they go out and visit the company and they talk to the chairman of the board and then they ask competitors and then they give their best advice. Yes, we think this mutual fund should buy Tesla. However, you buy the S&P 500 or you buy the total stock market index, you're getting Tesla whether you like it or not. Yeah. So you don't have to guess, can I find Tesla? It's going to come to you. Oh, by the way, this thing that's Yeah, let it come to you. I kind of like that. Right? So so this $1,430 a share, this company, as of July, the end of July, was still not in the S&P 500. Oh. (laughs) But it's like on the verge of supposedly getting in because its value is so high. Interesting. Right? Well, it's funny that you honestly mentioned like, people trying to find the Teslas. I can't remember how long ago in quarantine it was, but I watched some random video about how there was a competitor for Tesla and uh, something just went wrong in the manufacturing process or however far down the line, something just went wrong. And they're still trying to actually make the, um, the product, like make the car. And they have other products, I think, as well, too. I think it's based um, somewhere in Asia. I'm not really sure. Um, and, uh, they were trying to be like this huge competitor, but then stuff just fell through the roof or through the cracks. I really, I, I couldn't tell you exactly why it happened, but had you been the person that, 
you know, okay, this looks great. You know, Tesla is definitely going to have another competitor someday. This is it. Let me invest all my money in it. I think over a hundred million dollars had been invested in to make these, you know, highly competitive, you like, you know, potentially cheaper models as well that would compete with Tesla. And then I don't know what happened, but I don't think the people who invested a hundred million dollars in that company probably saw their returns. Right. So, but, so this is why Jack believed in index investing. I tend to, I do have an S and P 500 index, but I, I probably put more money in the total stock market index because I don't know when Tesla's coming along. I don't know when Google's coming along. I don't know when Apple's coming along. And they might not break into the top 500, but you still want they their might improvements be, they might be, when they're 642. They, they might be 10 or 15 years down in the lower part of the stock market index. And then all of a sudden, some great innovation, and they turn around. And I get to ride that up. So the, I'm willing to let my ego go. I'll ride that you know, $17 to $1,400 without having to be just individually invested in that company. Right. I'll be fine with not, let me just get dragged along with the profits. I won't make as much because let's say the total stock market Yeah, the return won't be immediate, but it'll be worth it. Well, it it won't be as high. So for instance, if there are 3,500 stocks in the total stock market index, probably an index will invest 2% and whatever's number one out of 3,500 stocks. And then it's 1.8%, whatever the numbers, and it drops down to the 3,500 stock, the index owns 0. 0.0001 or something. Right. So we get to take that all along. We get to have it come along and we don't have to guess. Yeah. That's it's what's not awesome. a guessing game. All right. So before we wrap up, I just want to tell you three quotes that I just love from Jack Bogle, which really make a lot of sense about index funds. Um, he said, don't try and find a needle in a haystack. Just buy the whole haystack. See, and I think that's something I accidentally stole from a previous episode and I said it because you had mentioned it to me. You just didn't say it was from him. Yeah, because you've been heard, told it from the womb. <laughs> um, so I guess, sorry to Jack uh, for saying that, but it's tr- it, that makes it make complete sense. Yeah, so what that means when they say, don't try and find a needle in a haystack just by the whole haystack. It means the odds of selecting stocks like a Tesla that outperform the market is tiny. You're going to get better results will be achieved by just buying every stock in the index. Right. And so you won't make as big a return as if you bought one stock, but you're also not going to lose all your money by guessing. Right. All right. So then here's the other thing he said. Performance comes and goes, meaning the stock market can go up or down, but costs go on forever. So with index funds, he always wanted the lowest costs. So in many areas of the market, there's a loser for every winner. But on average, the investors get whatever the market returns minus the fees. Mm. So if the fees are as low as possible, you win. Got it. All right. And then, um, so that's pretty much what I have for Jack. He's the Michael Jordan of index funds he's amazing i mean well it feels he, like he he invented them he in 1975 i mean i don't know that michael jordan invented basketball i feel like he definitely invented modern day like right shoe obsession culture and or you know amazingness in basketball and like succeeding in basketball but this man invented it yeah and and what he was so magnanimous about doing is that he could be worth 10 billion dollars and he's like when he passed away, he was worth something like eight, 80 million, which is still ridiculously great. 
But he said, let me give those returns back to them. Let me make the fees as long as possible. I want to see individual people have a better shot than just being a money manager and they're making all this money. So um, that's our episode. I, would, I want to mention real quick the uh, Dad's Daughters and Dollars Buy and Hold Contest. Just go to dadsdaughtersanddaughters.com. And we are going to try and uh, we'll give $100 to a, a person every month for six months. And that is going to... We're going to teach you how to do buy and hold into an index fund. And then uh, we're going to contact you and just see how you're doing over time. I want to thank my daughter again for doing this episode. Thank I want to thank you. all our listeners. Please subscribe. I Well, I just also wanted to say, I think that there's going to be a part two to this too, right? So yeah, stay tuned for that. There's definitely a lot more. Cool. Yeah. he's. I, I think he's like giddy to like... Could you make it into three episodes or are you just going to stick to two? I'm I just I know you two. I just know you get excited about it and that's okay and we love getting excited about things that can help people in the long run. Right. Um well, thank you so much and I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode, learned something new. I certainly did. Um Jack Bogle, you know, thank you so much. Um and I hope many people have learned from him beyond just this podcast. But um tune in next time and we'll see you later. Thank you very much. The content on Dads, Daughters, and Dollars is for informational purposes only and does not constitute professional financial advice. Listeners should consult an attorney, accountant, financial planner, or other professionals to suit your specific needs.